everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Train Like a Trooper podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Stewart, along with Trooper Eric Foster. We are uh, in Durant, Oklahoma today at the uh, Drug Recognition Expert Conference that we're holding down here, or a school, actually, not a conference, a school where we're training other troopers and law enforcement officers um, on, on drug recognition techniques and being experts in this field. Um, and we have a special guest with us today. His name is Carl Sitek. He is a professor of optometry all the way from Forest Grove, Oregon. Welcome to Oklahoma. Thank you, Sarah. Pleasure to be here. We, we were talking about how you got a little bit of a, a tour of southeastern Oklahoma because you went to a different city than Durant initially and had to be directed here, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, my, my GPS wasn't updated and it, it found the wrong casino. <laughs> but that's okay. I got a beautiful tour of this lovely state. There we go. There we go. So, you know, we're talking, so a lot of people might have seen Highway Patrol and their own live PD or watching other police shows where, where someone's pulled over, they're doing a, you know, a test to see if they're under the influence of anything. And people have all seen that where they're kind of putting a pen in front of somebody's face or a light and they have to follow it. But I guess you're, you know, for your average person that's not in law enforcement might say, well, what are your, what does optometry have to do with drug recognition and driving under the influence? Tell us what your role oh, is. Oh, great here. question. Um, so as optometrists, we are, we're specifically trained, educated and trained in, um, dealing with problems with the visual system, you know, if someone needs glasses or contact lenses, uh, dealing with problems with eye movements and <clears throat> how eye movements function, how the brain functions and how the whole body functions as a result of uh, visual responses and uh, things that might occur either because of problems that somebody might have with their vision or with their eye movements or things that might happen in the environment. And so this all has to do with if somebody's under the influence of something, you're going to be able to look in the we'll, eyes and we'll, tell. We'll see it in the eyes. And so the, the basic the, the, the uh, basic pr uh, issue that occurs is that with intoxicants, so alcohol and certain drugs, eye movements will be affected. Certain other intoxicants will affect pupil responses. Um, ultimate background piece is that these things, these changes in eye movements or with other drugs, changes in pupil responses will happen consistently from one person to the next when they're under the influence of those intoxicants. Some of it may depend on the dosage that they take, you know, how many drinks have they had or how much of a drug have they taken. Some may depend on their individual physiology, how their bodies respond. But as an overall statement, these responses are very consistent and very common. Uh, the knowledge that they occur, that changes to eye movements occur, that changes to people responses occur, that knowledge has been around for decades at least. The science behind all of this, that has already been proven. Right. That um, uh, an officer will be able to see abnormal eye movements in a manner consistent with what the officer has been taught will occur with intoxication. That. <clears throat> People responses will change in a way, in a manner consistent with what an officer has been taught occur with other drugs. Right. So the, the basis of that, the scientific and medical basis of that, that has been known for decades. Uh, the big question, of course, that comes in, and especially with trainings like this and other trainings that law enforcement officers go through, is can that information now be used? Can that be used in a manner to allow an officer to draw the conclusion that Yes, the individual is impaired, and yes, perhaps intoxicants are the cause of that impairment. So the fact that changes to eye movements and people responses occur, that should no longer be a question. 
We still hear that, oh, all of this stuff is voodoo. That uh, I like to think of it in that way that, uh, well, these folks are just ignoring science and ignoring, ignoring basic medicine. That's, they're just choosing to be ignorant if they make a statement like that. Uh, but the, the more important question, can an officer, can a law enforcement officer, when testing someone at roadside or later on during a drug recognition expert evaluation, can that officer use that information to form an opinion as to the presence of impairment and, if so, the cause of the impairment? Right. And doctor, uh, just to be clear, you know, for law enforcement that are listening, that's just one piece of the puzzle. You know, we don't just use the eyes. We use, you know, uh, a, a battery of tests to do that. And that really, um, you know, the the HGN, what we're kind of talking about and other things, the pupil size and movements and things like that um, is just one piece of the puzzle. Uh, but it's a very important piece of the puzzle because, you know, you've heard, you know, the the eyes are the window. You know, you can look through there and you can see a lot and you very much can just in conversation you can tell okay this something's not normal as we see normal sometimes correct absolutely absolutely correct that seeing the eye movement seeing the people responses that's only one small piece of of an entire evaluation whether it's um, a the quick assessment at roadside or the more involved dre evaluation it's only one small piece of it um, certainly if if an individual had perfectly normal responses on all other testing for all of the other physiological tests for anything that involves d- divided attention ability. Right. So, uh, uh, you know, being able to divide your attention between two tasks simultaneously. If everything else were perfectly normal and the only suggestion that impairment might be present is one or more abnormal eye movements, right? then the officers are taught, you know, really, at that point, take a step back and think about it. Is that consistent with someone who was intoxicated? Definitely. And because there's other things that cause, that may cause those things other than intoxication, you know, so, some other, other things. So medically or, uh, Absolutely. or anything. There, there could be, there could be a medical condition. So if someone has a congenital problem or has a disease process or something for for instance, someone with diabetes or multiple sclerosis, uh, will they have an abnormal? Will they present with an abnormal response? Uh, right. Depending on the testing, the answer, of course, is very likely yes. But the officer then needs to make that decision: is that consistent with what the officer has been taught occurs with intoxication? And in combination of all those things, yeah, that's very, very good. Like we have several. There's several parts of the test that actually we do on that to make sure to rule out that, hey, this is what we're not seeing is not medical. This is what yes. we're seeing is this is going something other than medical. We've ruled out medical at this point and we're going to continue with other tests. And Trooper Kaling, do you always involve, you know, someone like this, like an optometrist to come into these DRE schools? This is our first year to do that. Okay. Um, I said, Doc, doc is the first time that we've actually got to bring somebody in and it was based uh, with the help of uh, International Associated Chiefs of Police, a grant we got. We were able to have the money to allow to, to bring expert witnesses in from across the country. And there's several more that are coming in as well. So it's kind of that first step into, we're trying to develop more of the program to go, we need to, we'll get this great training for these guys. Yeah. And so far it's been a good um, advantage to these, these new students that we have. Dr. Sitek, is this something that you travel around doing and talking to different law enforcement? I do. It's not my full-time job, okay. <laughs> but I do it when I'm asked to. And, um, 
you know, my wife will say too often, but because <laughs> it does take me away from home for a while, but uh, only a, you know, a couple of days at a time, usually. Uh, but I, I feel very strongly in th- that this is something, the, the entire process, the entire program is something that I do support, and I believe that that professionals such as myself should support. And specifically for optometry, uh, my professional organization, the American Optometric Association, has passed resolutions recognizing the validity and reliability of the HGN test as officers use it, and also of the DRE protocol as it is used by law enforcement officers. And one of the components of those resolutions is to encourage optometrists to support law enforcement and to assist in training or um, in any way possible to further that. Because we believe that this is indeed useful and it is an important piece and that officers who are properly educated can make the distinction between intoxication and other problems. Yes, And there are often enough times when an impaired individual, somebody who's impaired driving, is stopped, and the officer, even during the roadside evaluations, recognizes, you know, that impairment is not due to intoxication, but due to a medical problem. Right. Whereas to an untrained individual, oh, that guy just looks drunk. Yeah, he's always, look like, yet the officer can tell the difference and gets that person medical attention and very likely saves his life. We've done that several times. We have lots of stories about uh, troopers stopping someone because of driving behavior and finding out they're in a medical emergency and saving their life because, you know, we're looking at signs that we've been trained and we can very quickly determine this isn't impairment. We actually did have a case here in Oklahoma where a trooper stopped a lady and was talked to her well, he performed as you and started looking at her, he noticed a, a weird reflection in one of her eyes so have you always had that and she's like what are you talking about he goes well i suggest you need to go see a you need to go see an optometrist to look at that and it turned out she had a tumor building behind one of her eyes that was actually cancerous and they had to i mean it actually i mean wow. they, they caught it early enough that they saved her i mean out of that caught it on a traffic stop uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. wow yeah. You mentioned the HGN test. Tell for, for somebody who might not know what that is, tell us what that is. And- the horizontal gaze nystagmus test is a battery of three separate unique subtests where officers uh, check eye movements. First, when following a moving stimulus, then when holding the eye steady, looking to an extreme lateral position, and then when following a stimulus moving very slowly before getting to that extreme lateral position. There are three components to that. Um, Each eye is assessed individually, separately, for six potential clues, as they're referred to. Um, And the number of clues, the clues will occur with increasing levels of intoxication in the order in which the officer does the testing. The number of clues will be consistent with, it will not prove, but it will be consistent with levels of intoxication if we're talking about alcohol intoxication only. Yeah, certain certain <coughs> classifications of intoxicants. And, and, and other drugs such as central nervous system depressant drugs, inhalants, uh, dissociative anesthetics, such as uh, ketamine and, and PCP right. can also cause those changes in eye movements. Um, and then finally, there's the vertical gaze nystagmus test in which the officer brings the stimulus straight up. And if that is present, that would indicate, if that is present because of intoxication, that would indicate a high level of intoxication for that individual. And you talk about the science behind this. Is this easy for somebody to manipulate this test to fool an officer? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, there, are, there are ways if, if someone uh, chooses... 
in during the conduct of the test not to pay attention to the stimulus that the officer is using. So the, the standard stimulus would be uh, the officer uses a finger or a pen cap or finger over a pen light. But if, if an individual chooses not to look at the stimulus directly, then it's possible that the clues that would be there might be absent. But that is easily counteracted because the officer will be able to identify when sitting within arm's length of someone, whether he or she is looking at the stimulus or not. Right. So that's really the only way to manipulate the test. But um, you know, if someone were to try to do that, but no other way. There's, there's so really explain that, HGM, what, what the officer's looking for. So it's, you know, involuntary jerking the eyes uh, due to what? Well, uh, uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> well, and really, like, right. you know, no, talking so, about the fine motor, the motor right, fine, fine motor control. Right. So very, very simply, um, drugs such as alcohol and depressants will affect nerve centers in parts of the central nervous system, specifically the brainstem and the cerebellum. Uh, those are the ones that, that innervate the eye muscles to allow the eyes to move relative to the head and that control the eye muscles. Our cerebellum works like a feedback control center. So when we move our eyes off to the side, for example, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of effort to maintain the eye posture at that position. The cerebellum is critical in being able to maintain that so the eyes don't drift back to straight ahead, for example. Um, the drugs will affect, those particular drugs that do that will affect the nerve centers in that part of the central nervous system. And the first thing they'll do, even at low levels of intoxication, is cause a disruption in smooth eye movements. Anytime there's a relative motion between the observer and the target, let's say you're driving down the road, you're looking at a street sign and you're reading what is on the sign. You don't stop in the middle of the road to read the sign. You keep driving. You might slow down a little bit, but you keep driving. You're moving relative to that sign. That's a smooth pursuit eye movement because you're moving relative to that sign. If you're stopped and you're watching a pedestrian or you're watching cross traffic at an intersection, if you're watching that individual or those cars or something, you're using smooth pursuit eye movements. If you don't have smooth pursuit eye movements available, you're not going to be able to read the sign as you're driving past it or you'll have a difficult time reading that. You're not going to be able to see subtle movements, subtle changes. If the pedestrian suddenly stops in the middle of the, in the, middle of the street and turns around again, you might miss that. Uh, you might miss a, a, you know, a car going across the intersection uh, if it's any details about its movement or any other vehicle traveling in the same direction as you, traveling in the opposite direction. You'll miss those, that information if you can't make good smooth pursuit eye movements or if you can't compensate properly. Right. And the compensation for someone who might not be able to make good smooth pursuit eye movements is to move the head, use the head to follow the stimulus. That's what I noticed a lot of times, especially in live PD, when troopers would be given, they say, hold your head straight. And that, that every time yep. the person would want to turn their that entire and, and head. Like you were saying, you would constantly hear them go, hey, look at the tip of my yes, pen. Yes, yes. Not back there. Look at the tip of my finger. Look at the tip of my pen. Follow right, right here. Right. And that's that counteracting, like he was talking about, counteracting the... Right. Trying to look away or, or right. trying to defeat the test. It's probably just a natural response if you're if you're not able to do that smooth eye movement. Then you're going to almost automatically do that. You will automatically move your head and not even realize that you're doing it. 
Yeah, and that's that's why these statements that you're saying are not up for debate. I mean, we these are scientifically proven, and that's why they're held. These these f you know these uh, standardized field sobriety testing that we do is held up in court uh, during you know the prosecution of an arrest is because we have scientifically proven these things. And so, and that uh, the other reason you know the other thing is that they're not easily manipulated is because it is very physiological. Yep. The, the, the other piece, of course, is, the, the main piece, of course, is, did the officer do the testing correctly? Did the officer follow the standardized protocol? Standardized, right. If, and that's why it's standardized. Um, there are times when the officer does need to deviate from the standardized protocol, and of course, the officer should recognize that. That'll be written in the report, and the officer will be able to explain exactly why, right. why that was done. But usually, the officer will follow the standardized protocol, and... If he or she does, then what did the officer observe? So if the eye movements and the other eye movements are different types of nystagmus, actual jerking of the eyes as, uh, you know, that involuntary repetitive movement of the eyes when you're looking away from straight ahead, again, that's not something that you can control directly. That is induced. That is not enhanced or exaggerated or, uh, yeah, it's more pronounced in some people than others. So yeah, somebody's always going to test positive. No, that basically does not happen. Right. And that's the wording we use, is distinct and sustained. And it is induced. It is caused by intoxicants. If it were to be present, if any of these, any of the signs, whether on the HGN, VGN tests or any of the other roadside tests or anything, if those were present naturally, normally in someone, very likely most officers are never going to be, are never going to see that, are never going to test that. There's one demonstration that I do in every, just almost every class, at every seminar, at every presentation that I do. I did it here this morning. Um, I ask officers to raise their hands if they do roadside stops on a regular basis and keep their hands up. I ask them if they do, if they use field sobriety tests on a regular basis, keep their hands up. And then I ask, do they do the field sobriety tests or even just the HGN test on every single driver whom they stop? Because the argument from, from the defense is that, well, a lot of people have these abnormal eye movements and other abnormal responses naturally. So, of course, the officer is going to identify that and just arrest people who aren't drunk. Right. That's the argument. In the years I've been doing that demonstration, and I do it mainly for the prosecutors, for their benefit, I am batting a 1,000. At the end, nobody's hand is up. And the reason, of course, is, you know, well, why don't you use even the most reliable, even just the one test, the most reliable, the m- most appropriate test? Why don't you use just that one? Because if you can't articulate, if the officer cannot articulate reasonable suspicion of impairment, the court will conclude that the officer's on a fishing expedition, regardless of the results. Um, if you don't, if you didn't think to begin with that the individual might be impaired, that the driver's impaired, you have, this is a legal decision, you have no business doing any further investigation. You can't just test just for the heck of it. So the argument that, oh, you're going to arrest 10% of the driving public anyway because they have abnormal eye movements or such, 
Well, what led the officer to request the testing in the first place? Right. And that's why we have that battery. It's just, just, you know, just because that battery to begin maybe with. we saw something like that. That's not quite normal. And then we put them through the battery of the test, the three tests. And we go, okay, well, you're not showing me clues anywhere else. You're not showing these other things. Okay. We can safely assume that that's not what I'm seeing. Right. And we've always trained officers too, too, if we, if we see something abnormal that we see and we don't have those other clues, ask them, ask the individual themselves, hey, have your eyes always done this or have your pupils always look like this? Because mm-hmm. majority of the time, if they've been to the eye doctor or, you know, visited an optometrist, they, they know that actually, hey, you have this or your eyes do this naturally. I mean, is that about on par with what we uh, should ask? Yes, of course. Yeah. And you usually, and again, part of the standardized protocol is for the officer to ask a couple of questions yes. beforehand, uh, health-related questions, eye-related questions. Do you have any problems with your eyes? Do you have any problems physically that I need to know about that might prevent you from uh, walking a straight line heel to toe or balancing or following us? We have, uh, she's actually our secretary. She has resting nystagmus, nystagmus naturally. She's always had it. And we use her in some of our, our classes and stuff to show people what it actually looks like. and. It's, a, it's fun to use, too, whenever we do our wet labs and things like that. We bring her in as a placebo just to show other officers, like, look, she's not showing any other signs. She's just showing these signs on her eyes. Right. There's there's nothing there. And one then, of the other ones did, we you, do is like— Or did you ask that question, hey, have your eyes always done that? Yeah, yeah. And, one of the other ones we always do is—it's not part of the battery, but it's a it's a, an additional one—is that lack of convergence. You know, that some people don't have a lack of convergence just naturally, and that's, you know, that's why it's important to go through that whole battery of tests and—, and all the observances. And that, of course, is part of the DRE protocol. And there are those drugs that affect eye movements will potentially affect convergent horizontal eye moves. With typical horizontal and vertical eye movements can also potentially affect convergence ability. Right. And, and but, for people, convergence is just when the eyes come together like cross-eyed almost. And, right. So when you're looking at objects at different distances, your eyes will cross and uncross so that you maintain single vision. Uh, if anybody at home wants to do a quick demonstration, hold your thumb out at arm's length, line it up with something, you know, a, a, a tree out in the distance or, or something out in the distance. When you look at your thumb, you're going to see two of those objects out there, two trees or two signs or something. And then when you, when you change your convergence to look at that object in the distance, now you're going to see two thumbs. Right. So convergence is critical for driving because uh, every now and then we need to look at our dashboards. And our dashboards are about arm's length away. So they're not at the same distance as the road outside. So if you don't converge properly or you can't compensate appropriately, you're going to see two sets of dashboard indicators when you look down there. Right. Uh, Yes, there are going to be some folks who have lack of convergence naturally. And if that were the only clue, absolutely the only indicator that an officer were to observe, then, you know, as Trooper Kaling said, the, 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 the officer is taught, yeah, take a step back, take a deep breath, and go, is that consistent with impairment of right. any kind, with intoxication of any kind? Right. So tell us what you are, you're teaching them here at the, the school today. Are you teaching them actually how to do the tests or the different indicators to look for? Kind of what is, um, what is no, your role my, in the school? My role primarily here was uh, to, go, to go into the weeds, into the tall weeds of, uh, <laughs> of what's the background of this. They already know how, at this point, these officers and troopers, they're well-versed in conducting the field sobriety test. They know how to do it. And 
very likely all they've been taught, which is part of the standardized curriculum, is you know, why do they do this? Well, this is what is standardized, this is the protocol, and this is what you're looking for. So they've been taught what to do and how to do it. My job is to tell them why. Why they do it. Why they do it and why they're going to see things the way they do. And if something else were present, if there were a medical condition present or some unusual environmental condition that is beyond their control, how will it affect their observations? How would it change anything? So we get into the whys. Yeah. These officers are, when they get into this program, they've already been through, they're already well-versed in arresting or making arrests on impaired drivers. And then they get into this program, this takes their knowledge even further into, they started out and they learned their standardized field sobriety testing. They've been to a little bit of advanced training for a bridge between the DRE program and the SFST program. And then this is more fine tuning their skills to where, like, like the doctor was saying, they know how to do the test properly, they've done the test properly, and they have to prove that in the school before they can even get into the school. And now they're learning why they're seeing the things that they see when they do those tests properly. So it gives them more of that expert testimony, that expert training to go, okay, I have more advanced knowledge and more advanced training on this individual test than the basic officer does. And, and also to, to counteract the questions that, that might come up if the case goes to a trial, um, the officer often, often will be cross-examined uh, and asked, uh, well, is it not possible that this other condition, that a medical condition or something else could have caused what you observed? And so, of course, I present a lot of that as well and uh, showing that while it may cause an abnormal response, what would not be considered normal, or in some cases, a truly normal response because we can induce it in just about everybody, um, that was very unlikely to have been the case because the testing condition wasn't right when the officer actually did the test or, or the environmental condition wasn't the same. So uh, while the cross-examination question was, is it possible that this could have occurred? Well, sure, anything is possible. Um, you know, a few weeks ago when, uh, when the, the Chinese rocket went out of control and was who knew where it was going to fall on earth was it possible that a piece could come down and hit you on the head well it's possible how likely is it though uh, it's, <laughs> it's po- anything is possible but how likely is it very unlikely. It's, it's very important you know for officers and things like that and just just a plug real quickly for the DRE program, you know, officers that are listening and are out there, uh, this is crucial in working the road, in my opinion, to be able not just to say, well, they're intoxicated, but look, I'm seeing a mixture of all of these different things. Um, and, and it helps your partners out. It helps the public out, keeps people safe. Uh, I, I would just recommend just on a side plug, I'd recommend that if you've never been through either our advanced roadside the a ride program or dre program to really look into that uh, because it will benefit you in your career but it will also benefit the public and just keeping people safe being able to identify what you're seeing and when you're seeing it you know and a touch on that eric is to keep the public safe as well it's not just for law enforcement it's for the public as well yeah because if you have an officer that's not well trained and he sees something that is not impairment it is a medical condition or something like that and you call a dre to come there and he he will tell that officers 
I'm not seeing impairment. What I'm seeing is caused by this medical condition or you're not doing the test properly or something like that. That's that helps the public out just as much as as the other other way. Yes. So it's, it's for the public just like it is for law enforcement. Right. Like you're saying, getting the truly impaired people off the roads, keeping Correct. everybody yes. safe and making sure that somebody's not yeah. falsely accused of something Correct. that they didn't yeah. actually do. Yeah, this is valuable training. And I would say to, to plug the DRE school, uh, you know, the one little caveat, the one little concern is uh, this is not for everybody, not for every officer. It's intense. I, I was just about to say that. It is a lot of work. It's a two-week intense in-class program. And then there's a lot of field work that you have to do afterwards. So this is not something where you just come to a training and get a gold star for sitting in the room. Right. Uh, you have to do the work. Yeah, and we, I, I did a podcast before about talking about the program, but I think the final usually anywhere takes about anywhere from six to eight hours to conduct the final. And it's a 100% comprehensive review of the entire manual. And the manual is, well, two three-inch three three-ring binders stacked on top of one another. And then recreate some stuff from memory and a lot of memorization and things like that so it's a it's one of those deals it's if you're able to do it it's a very beneficial program to you and not not just in law enforcement but just in life in general and then also um, it's very beneficial to your departments if your departments get you to that certification yeah and any any officers who are not DREs who are not trained in that yeah, no harm that's a, no problem it's not, this is not for everybody we recognize that but those officers should know that DREs are available to do this. So when they have that unusual situation of, well, it's not a straightforward alcohol intoxication situation. It's not as something as simple, simple as that. Now you use simple in air quotes, obviously. Uh, it's, not, it's not that obvious. It's a little more complex. Yeah, it's unusual. I'm, I'm seeing something unusual. They should know, they should know that there are DREs available who can be called out to make that assessment, who do, to do that evaluation. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to, to come on our podcast. And this is only audio. It's not video. But I wanted to compliment you on your bow tie. He's got a really cool checkered bow tie on that people aren't going to be able to see just listening to this. But, uh, and it's real. It's not a clip on either. No, it's, it's a real bow tie. Very cool. Thank you for your time. Sorry, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you.